when you, when you think about, and this is what we were talking about last week when we finished up, when you talk about uh, fulfilling the law through love, that's precisely what Jesus did. Okay, Jesus kept the law of Moses perfectly. He, he did not transgress the law of Moses. He did not. Uh, he was accused of it from time to time, but the accusations were related to uh, the religion of Judaism, not the keeping of the law of Moses and the distinctions that are to be made there, which we've talked about at length. And because Jesus kept the law, he was the perfect sacrifice. But he also demonstrated something else. He demonstrated uh, the keeping of the law of God through love for God. Okay? And through love for his fellow man. So when, when we read in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said, don't think that I came to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, it, it takes on uh, a significant meaning for us when we read things like in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus not only fulfilled the law, but he showed us how to love too. He showed us how to love each other, to love our fellow man. So, Jesus is not only our teacher in holiness and righteousness, but he's our teacher. He demonstrates how to love each other, okay, and to love God. Wharton writes in his uh, book, Freed for Freedom Studies in Galatians, that, uh, get on the right page here. History and human experience combined to justify Paul's anticipation of our need to love one another. His statement that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is not mere obedience to some specific law, but a total approach to life, to our relationship with God, to our relationship with each other. Our new lifestyle is not only in relation to God, but is essentially a one another relationship. Paul has just connected love to faith. Okay? What did he say there in verses 5 and 6? Or chapter 5 and verse 6? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But what? Faith working through love. So he con he's connecting those two points that uh, essential to our faith in God is our love for God and our love for one another. Now, let's see. We love God who loves us by loving those whom he loves. Does that make sense? If I'm... A, what did we talk about in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4? We've become... Not only have we been uh, redeemed by God through Jesus Christ, but we've also been adopted. Okay, uh, first Christ redeemed us. Okay, by paying the price. That's literally what that means. By purchasing you, 
But having purchased you, now you are children of God. You've been brought into the household of God, okay, as children and co-heirs with Christ. So if God is our Father and we love Him, how is it that we could not love our brothers and sisters in Christ and still be in a right relationship with God? Okay? You see the point he's trying to make there. Uh, we just do not love God if we do not love our brethren. Consequently, Paul writes, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Most people have an experiential knowledge that law is not productive of obedience from the heart. In other words, uh, if you you love someone, you don't have to be told to take care of them. If a parent loves their child... And, and, and it is in accordance with, with uh, the design of God. Nobody has to tell you to take care of your kids, okay? Now, now there, there, are, uh, there are situations out there in the world where that just doesn't happen, where parents don't take care of their kids. But if you really love your children, you don't need somebody to tell you to take care of them. There, 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 there's no law anywhere. I know there are laws that exist on the books, but there is no law on the books anywhere that is needful for you to tell you to take care of your kids. You're going to do that with or without somebody standing over you and telling you what to do. Why? Because you're motivated by what? Love. Okay? Does that make sense? That's precisely what Paul's talking about here. There is then the... uh, Wharton goes on to write, there is then the working principle that love accomplishes what law cannot. Okay? What does that mean? There are laws in the state of Texas, that penalize people for not taking care of their children. Yes? Okay, there, there are ramifications for that. You understand that? But obviously that law does not stop people from mistreating their children because they still do it. Does that make sense? But love accomplishes what the law cannot. Okay? No matter what happens, love will always motivate the sincere parent to take care of their child. And there won't be anything that's going to stop them from doing it. Does that that make sense? That's the kind of love... That Paul's talking about. It's the love that doesn't need somebody standing over you telling you what to do. Because you know what the right thing is to do, and you're going to do it no matter what because you're motivated by love. When Christian love finally reciprocates out of an ever-increasing gratitude for our incredible liberator and for our liberation from the extreme depths of our contamination... 
It will interpret our freedom to place ourselves in genuine servitude to each other. This will be no more than an imitation of Christ whose eternal love led the way. So if you extend that point, if my brother is hungry and I love him, there is no way that I can see fit to not make sure that he has what he needs to eat. There's nothing that's going, if I love him, there's going to be nothing that stands in my way to making sure that he has what he needs. It's unacceptable to me if I have that attitude. If they were naked, there's nothing, I'm not, I don't need, if I see my brother or sister in Christ in need, food, clothing, whatever it is, a spiritual need, there, there, there could be some spiritual need. They've lost a loved one or whatever, fill in the blank. If I see that, there is, I don't need a law to tell me to go and address those needs because I'm motivated by the law of Christ, which is love. I can't stand to see my brother and sister to do without the things that are needful, whether they be spiritual or physical. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that? So love is the fulfillment of the law. Um, And 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7 and following. Now, uh, John, the apostle John, writes about this very thing at length when you read his writings. Uh, but in First cha- John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, you have the knowledge of God because God's love has been manifest in your life. And so you know it, you've experienced it. Okay? The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard. In verse 9 there, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, does does someone's uh, text render that differently than that we might live through Him? Because that's the very idea of us living through Him or Him living through us. Okay? We have life because of Christ, but Christ animates us. In other words, His Holy Spirit, and this is what we're moving into here in Galatians chapter 5, is the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. But we are illuminated and we are animated and we are motivated by God's presence in us, which is the Holy Spirit. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
In other words, God moved first. Okay? And then when we notice and are touched by the love of God, that we, we really didn't even ask for it. And we didn't even really know our need until God loved us. Does that make sense? And then we experience it. We now have the knowledge. We have the... Uh, we, we have been illuminated to the power of God's love. Okay? He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we, want, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, why would he say that? But why would he say before that that nobody's ever seen God? And seemingly, he just makes a statement, then he goes on to something else. But look at what he's saying. You haven't seen God with your own eyes, have you? But when we witnessed our brothers and sisters in Christ loving one another, what have we seen? We've seen the presence of God in their life. Okay? And what did Philip say to, what did Philip say to Jesus? He said, uh, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what did we say earlier? That Jesus was teaching them. Jesus was not only fulfilling the law, but he was doing what? He was also teaching them how to love. By this we know that we abide in him, listen carefully, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Okay? Again, that's what we're building here to in Galatians chapter 5 is the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now notice there in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that's not just a statement that somebody makes. That is a certification, okay? If you were going to confess something in a court of law, you would have to be what? It would have to be certified by the fact that you are an eyewitness, okay? Because what? Hearsay is not allowed in, in, in testimony, is it? You've got to have first-hand knowledge. So when it talks about confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, you have to have first-hand knowledge that that's true. And how else would that be possible except by your own encounter with Jesus Christ? We have come to know that and have believed that love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. Or in other words, it's completed. 
it's growing and it's maturing and it's and it's becoming what God has always intended for it to be. Uh, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. In other words, that's precisely what it means when somebody talks about being Christ-like. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. In other words... When it, there in verse 18, no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves punishment. What do we say? The person, going back to my analogy of a child, the child and a parent relationship, if, if that parent is not taking care of their children, they don't love them very much, do they? Regardless of what they say. And that law is in place, the law or laws are in place to motivate those type of people to take care of their children because obviously they're not motivated by love. And if they are contrary to that law, then they have an expectation of fear, an expectation of what? Punishment because you broke the law. But the parent who truly loves their child and takes care of them that never plays, that has no part in their life. They have no expectation of fear. Does that make sense? There are some people that have to be motivated by fear because they do not love. Fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, uh, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. It's just like somebody saying, I love my kids, but you don't feed them. You don't, you don't make sure they have clothes. You don't. You don't try to teach them right and wrong. Uh, you know, all of the above, everything that is. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I loved you, that you also love one another. Now, if you go to, if you go to uh, Leviticus, you go to the book of Leviticus, the book of uh, uh, Deuteronomy, where all the whole law is spelled out at length. And it's there for everyone to read. It was given to the Hebrew people so so they would have that. All throughout there, it talks about uh, civil relationships. In other words, the the relationship of the community with one another. It talks about um, uh, familial relationships. It talks about, you know, if you're neighbors with this guy and what y'all are supposed to do about maintaining that relationship. All of it. 
Okay? And it's the whole it's the whole list of everything, okay? That was the law that they had. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new law. I'm going to say love one another. Because if you love somebody, you're going to take care of all the above. Does that make sense? And then verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Freed for freedom, this gospel reality is a dynamic that will eventually mature into a selfless lifestyle that is more an expression of gratitude to a wonderful, loving Savior than of mere grudging obedience to a law. Okay? Obviously, when we talk about loving each other, your what whatever whatever would be considered bad or hurtful or, or anything like that you're not going to want to do okay so and you can spend a lot of time talking about all those things but for just a moment i would like to consider one of the finer points that's that the galatians are dealing with uh this idea of love uh and the specific circumstances that are going on they got people coming in and they're trying to teach them things that aren't so. Right? They've got a group of people who've come in and they're trying to teach them things that God has not God has not bound on them. Um, and we've it, it takes this particular false teaching takes a form of, of this uh, uh, Judaism, this Juda- these Judaizers and their but overall, it's false teaching. No matter no matter what flavor it is, it's false teaching. So let's think about that for just a minute. If these folks loved their brothers and sisters in Christ there in Galatia, they'd be doing what? They'd be telling them the truth. They wouldn't be saying these things that they're saying. So that's that's kind of where I'm going to go with this. The central this central idea of loving each other means we do what? We tell each other the truth. Okay, and yes, it means a whole lot of things, but let's focus on this for just a second. That is, loving each other enough to tell each other the truth. Okay? In, uh, let's see, in James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly and natural and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. 
And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now this will be uh, important when we look at verse 15, uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, when Paul writes, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If you don't love each other to tell each other the truth, you are going to be the author of your own destruction. Does that make sense? First John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now listen carefully to verse 18. This is what I was referring to a minute ago. Little children... Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, it's like, I'm going back to my example, it's like the parent who says, well, I love my children, but uh, they're, not, they're not making sure they're, they're clothed. They're not making sure that they have uh, the proper food and the proper nutrition. They're, they're not making sure that, uh, that they're, they're learning uh, right from wrong and, and you know, all, all of the things, okay? Well, according to uh, John, the Apostle John here through the Holy Spirit, that person's a what? They're a liar. Okay? Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, if I love you, I'm going to do what? I'm going to tell you the truth. Now think about what's happening here going back to the, the church there, the churches at Galatia. These folks that have come in that have brought this false teaching, in these cases, these Judaizers, do they love their brothers and sisters in Christ there at Galatia? Obviously not, because they're not concerned uh, about making sure that everybody's on the same page as far as it pertains to the Word of God. Or the teachings from God. Okay? And notice that we've talked, we've already spent a lot of time talking about it, but notice to their message, it's just slightly off. You see what I'm saying? The idea ultimately is, yes, you can be you can be right with God through Jesus Christ, but first got to do what? Right. So notice what they're, they're trying to say. 
they're trying to say that the end game is the same, but their, their message is just slightly different. And that's not unlike who? Go all the way back to the garden. Now, when the serpent came, he wasn't saying anything ugly to Eve. He didn't, he didn't uh, attack her physically. He didn't, uh, what did he do? He just shifted the message just a little bit, didn't he? And that's all it took. He said, what did he say? He said, God didn't say you'd really die, did he? I mean, he just, you see what I'm saying? And that's precisely what's taught. But again, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? So the message here is that the truth of God He, he connects the importance of God's message and the truth of God's message to our uh, to our relationship with other people and with people with our brothers and sisters in the crowd. In other words, if you're going to teach, if let's say there's somebody out there and they don't know God, they've never been taught. If you're going to, if you are going to introduce that message to them, the first thing that has to happen is what you got to care about them. Because if you don't care about them, you're not going to care enough to share the gospel with them. Yes? And and to share it accurately. Loving someone enough to tell them the truth. Now look at, uh, going back there to chapter 5 and verse 15, if you... If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And this goes this goes to what's being said to one another. Are you uh, are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ to tell them the truth, or if you're or if you are sharing the message or wanting to share the message with someone, you've got to love them first. Okay, you have to have a legitimate concern for their spiritual well being. Going back to the book of James, in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, he is charging them with murder there in verse 2, is he not? That's a pretty serious charge. But if you consider what we just read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, uh, everyone who hates his brother is a what? He's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What are the seeds of murder anyway? Where does murder start? 
Of course it does. Yeah, we we might be illuminated to a higher understanding. You know it. <clears throat> and James addresses that in there in chapter four that there is a war going on inside of the life of the Christian. Because now that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is taking up residence in our life, it's at war with the flesh, correct? And that war will continue as we grow and as we mature. And as we move in, it's about time for the bell, but as we move into verse 16, it says, So I walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, that's precisely what Paul's going to be addressing um, this idea of walking by the walking by the Spirit and choosing the Spirit's instruction to us in our lives, and so that's where we'll pick up next time.